on the panel, RNZ National. Now, Andrew Little has spoken about health workforce issues a half an hour ago. The responses focused on getting more healthcare workers into the country and fast-tracking their registration process, including more support for overseas nurses moving to New Zealand. Announced a few minutes ago, $10,000. Also covering international doctors' salaries during their six-week clinical induction courses and three-month training internship, despite constant pressure from the healthcare sector and the media, Little still refused to refer to the workforce issues as a crisis. With us is Paul Golder, the Chief Executive of the New Zealand Nurses Organisation. Kia ora, Paul. Kia ora, Wolf. So... support for overseas nurses moving to New Zealand announced a few minutes ago. Will it help? Well, I think it will. Um, It's the scale of of how much help it will create is the real real issue for us. What we do, we sort of look to see what's going to attract people into nursing, what's going to keep them there, including through training, and what are the good jobs they need at the end. And that's the benchmarks we assess. And this does attract, uh, potentially attract more people into nursing. It could keep them there longer, but we've still got the issues about the good jobs at the end of it. And also the good jobs still in Australia. Yes, well, that looms over our health system um, and has for a number of years. And I know the Australians are taking more and more uh, extreme measures to attract Kiwis over there. And uh, that's going to continue to produce problems. There are other, some of these issues actually were announced earlier, so some of this package isn't new, but look, training more doctors, nurses and radiographers, dedicated immigration support services to make it easier for health workers to move to Aotearoa. Anything on that for you? Yeah, yeah, and I I think that will have an impact. Already we've got a bit of negative feedback from our members in the nursing sector about the doctors having a, if you like, a richer package uh, than what the nurses get. And uh, just as the what's called the winter incentive payments had a discrepancy between doctors and nurses, we would question why that's, that's the case there. But fundamentally, any money that goes into getting more people into New Zealand and into nursing has got to be good. The issue is what do we need to do in the medium and long term to fix up our own training systems? Janet Wilson. Um, Paul, I'm really interested in the dedicated immigration support services to make it easier for health workers to move to New Zealand. That doesn't mean, though, does it, a fast tracking of um, visa requirements or anything like that, to your knowledge? No, no, it doesn't. That is a a gaping hole, and this government just seems to have a real blind spot on that that fact. And they've just dug their toes in there, haven't they? Yeah, including successive ministers of immigration, which is often a good time to change a difficult policy. But no, we've made no headway there. Right. Um, Just one more thing. I'm really interested to find out what the um, salary difference between um, a nurse working in Australia and a a nurse working in New Zealand would be. How much more or less are they paid? Generally, there's a rule between Australia and New Zealand um, salaries of about a third in favour of the Aussies, and I suspect it's probably there or thereabouts, but you've got shift allowances and everything which confounded a bit more. Mm. But I would suspect it's probably easier working in Aussie as well. David. 
Uh, question two about the $10,000 in financial support for, um, is that just for registration costs or, or for the, for the uh, uh, more broadly for making the move here? I, I'm, I'm a little unclear about that. I, I don't know if that's been um, made clear or not. It's, it's not totally clear. It says streamlining funding the system for international health workers, da da da, for nurses. This includes yeah. funding of up to 10k to complete and sit competence and assessment programs that can be needed to get registration in New Zealand. So basically, um, it, it's to help with the, the learning part of it. All right. Hey, Paul. And, I, and, and, and I, I share Janet's um, puzzlement about the, um, and, and yours about the, um, uh, the, the, the speed of the immigration um, processing. Is it possible that what that is, is alluding to and dedicated support is some kind of change as well? Or, or do we... Uh, uh, do we not know? Well, I would imagine if they were going to um, flip a policy that significantly, they'd probably come out and make a virtue out of it, would be my read of it. Uh, so, I no, I think this is a, a technical adjustment. Okay. Paul Golder there, the Chief Executive of the New Zealand Nurses Organisation, on uh, that announcement, $10,000 support for overseas nurses Coming to New Zealand. 13 past four now to this $350 living payment. The first instalment, 116 bucks, will be paid today to New Zealand tax residents over the age of 18 who earned up to 70k in the last financial year and not entitled to the winter energy payment. Some Kiwis living overseas have received letters from the IRD saying they qualify for the cost of living bonus, even though they're not New Zealand tax residents. And Nationals' Nicola Willis said it's like the government pressed send all. With us to discuss is Ronji Tanalu, Principal Policy Analyst, uh, analyst rather, at the Salvation Army. Ronji, kia ora. Hey, Tala, for team. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you on, Ronji. What is this money going to mean to the 2.1 million Kiwis that get it? What difference will this really make to bills and food? Yeah, look, hey, I think something's better than nothing. And I think overall, uh, this is going to be some sort of help in addition uh, to that 2 million uh, New Zealanders. Uh, Obviously, I don't know about the things happening overseas. It's a little bit strange, but I think it will be of some help. But I guess in our perspective at the Salvation Army, we don't really think it's going to get to those on the lower end or those who are uh, the poorest in our country. And so, look, something's better than nothing. But overall, we still don't think it's really going to make an impact on the lives of our poorer people in Fano. Yeah, I'd love to hear your responses on this. Uh, when you, if you get this first um, payment of one one six hundred sixteen dollars, what will you spend it on? Will it help? A, a one-off payment as a poor mechanism for supporting households with a longer-term problem. That's what Treasury said. What do you What do you think about that, Ronji? Yeah, I think overall it was. It was I think this is more around. Um, political brownie points and actually having some real meaningful targeted policy. And I think that's the challenge that we've uh, put forward and uh, ever since the policy was announced. I think for us, because we are working with uh, poorer, more vulnerable, marginalised Kiwis, look, uh, they're even excluded from this policy in general. So that so those who are on, benef- on benefits, they're, they're not going to be able to access the benefits of this. But also for those who are poorer New Zealanders, working, working poor New Zealanders, I think there's challenges for them because Essentially, what what, you, what they're going to gain through this payment is going to be eroded through high inflation costs anyway, and, and gas and food and rent and so on. And so I think overall, it's not, in our view, uh, potentially the most meaningful policy, but in the end, there will be some 
sort of uh, benefit or, okay. or help or blessing to those. Now, Margaret says, has written to the panel, uh, so that uh, for me it'll mean the next three months I can pay most, if not all, of my phone bill or maybe my power bill. I haven't decided that yet, but the weight off my shoulders is huge. That's Margaret. Another one here says, uh, if I'm sensible, petrol or food, but it's unexpected, I might treat the family to a meal out. Janet Wilson. Um, well, I don't think we should have any judgments on what people spend their money on because for, for a start, that, that family may have been doing it pretty hard. Yeah. I'm really keen. I'm really keen to hear from, is Ronji still there? Yes. Yep. Yeah, Ronji, what, what would make a difference? You're saying that this is, is not going to be enough for those living on those bottom, on those most disadvantaged levels. What would be the thing? Would, would yeah, look, you think about a regular payment of some kind? I think the Salvation Army's position has always been that we need to lift core benefit levels across the board. So that's always been our position. I think this kind of payment is going to be a good addition. And we've heard from people writing in that it is going to be some sort of help. So we don't, we, we're not, not going to discard that, I guess, because that's the, the group that are using our services, the poor and more vulnerable. We've always advocated an increase in core benefit levels. This has nothing to do with benefits, but it will help other people, especially the working poor in our country. But again, high living costs, inflation, all of that stuff, you know, you give on one hand and, you t- and, and it's taken away on the other hand. Yeah, here's another one here. I get the payment as I work part-time, but our household income is high, so I'm donating it. Uh, David? It's worth bearing in mind, of course, that this is, a, this is in addition to a, a number of things that have been done in the last few years, increased benefits and working for families increases and best start and more paid sick leave and minimum wage increases. You know, this is another thing. So uh, I'm seeing some debate looking at it as though this stands on its own, which which is a mistake, really. But uh, but I, I am very interested in that question we we were just exploring there about increasing benefits and what what would be a meaningful level. And and I'm always keen to hear some debate when this arises about universal basic income and and a, and a wrinkle on that that I've seen proposed that I prefer, and that is an expansion of services available for free. Instead of money uh, and or a universal basic income, you make a suite of services available. And, and this has been trialled in, in some countries with some success, Scandinavia I'm thinking of. And, and I'd love to see more, and I'd be, I'd be interested to know if um, that m- might have some, some appeal to, right. uh, um, to the rest of you. Yes, indeed, the universe-based income. Yeah. Uh, we will certainly come back. But for now, though, Ronja Tanalu, uh, kia ora, thank you for your time. Uh, he is the principal policy analyst uh, for the Salvation Army. But briefly, very briefly, to the politics of this, it's been um, political too, hasn't it? Could it have been done another way? Um, who, who, did, who said it was sprayed around like a surprise lottery? That was Nicola Willis. Janet, your thoughts? Um. <sighs> I, th- I think it shows the panic in the government at the moment about them trying to be seen to be doing something about a problem that they can't actually do too much about. And that's the problem for any any government when you get into inflation and when you get into a cost of living spiral as we're experiencing at the moment. So um, they were advised by Treasury not to do it this way. Um, and I think they were. I think it's a, a signal of well, we have to be seen to be doing something. 
So it's cosmetic in your view. David, quick response. Yeah, I, I think um, there was another expression Nicola Willis used too, which was press play um, yep. accidentally. No, press send. I, I don't, you know, this was consciously done. It was understood that there would be some um, mis- misalignment with this you, 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 when you're doing something broadly like this. Some people are, aren't going to be fitted, fitted right. But I do, to my earlier point, I, I think this potentially works as just a little bit more help, as one of your correspondents said, with a particular bill. It's not as significant as increasing benefits, so working for families increases, minimum wage increases. Those those are more important structural things. But it it may, you know, every little bit helps when you are, when you are suffering. Right. 20 past yeah. four, the panel, RNZ National, Janet Wilson and the dog, and David Slack with me. Whose dog is that? That's, that's my dog, Betty. What who is misbehaving extremely badly because she's seen another dog on the beach and she thinks that the, she owns that beach. Ah, uh, Betty, hello to you. All right, now uh, to this. For the first time since March of 2020, in fact, I think it was March the 20th, I think it was, the Friday, our borders are fully open, meaning that those from non-visa waiver, waiver countries can enter our border. This opens the doors to cruise ships, international students and countries such as China and India, albeit with some travel restrictions. So are we going to get a flood or a trickle of international visitors? With us is Simon Draper, Asian New Zealand Foundation Executive Director. Kia ora, Simon. Kia ora. So what are we going to see? In fact, it's quite, it's quite um, an announcement, isn't it? Uh, it seems so long ago that... Our borders were closed that fateful day when they were closed at midnight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it does seem like a long time ago, doesn't it? Um, well, at the Asian New Zealand Foundation, we're really excited about this news because we know a number of things. Something like 14 million border crossings in, in 2019 and we're about 800,000 last year. So there's been a massive decrease, obviously, people moving across the border. And what we know about border movements you know, from Asia uh, is that Yes, you've got the cruise ships and you've got tourists and, and, and people coming in and that's great for the economy and great for lots of, you know, New Zealand firms that have been doing it hard in the tourism sector or education sector in the last couple of years. But the other thing we know from the foundation is that it's actually these people-to-people connections that really count. It's actually New Zealanders bumping into Asian tourists and New Zealanders going to Asia. That's the stuff that, that, that really counts in, in ensuring that New Zealanders are making the most of the opportunity of, 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 of Asia. So, yeah, we're really pleased to see um, those border restrictions go and looking forward to people coming. I don't think we'll go from 800,000 to 14 million overnight. It'll take a while, but it's certainly a step in the right direction. OK. Uh, David Slack. I'm very keen to see. Um, I've got this hobby horse of getting people involved in the tourist experience, but um, more... Um, ecological, um, um, saving the, um, uh, well, doing things like predator control, giving people an experience that's um, kind of more fulfilling. And, I, and I'm hoping that this time around it might happen a bit more. And I'm, I'm looking at it from the point of view of I live in a seaside village and we have uh, people coming on the cruise ships and you see them coming up one side of the street and down the other looking very aimless and blank-faced and wondering when their, their fun is going to start. And I, and I really... I would love to see something happen where people are, are given the chance to engage in things that are um, 
risk more kind of significant. And if we tell them the whole story about how there used to be a dawn chorus here that was so loud you couldn't hear, huh. and that if we and if we can restore those birds by coming along with us here and uh, doing some stoke trapping and getting people involved in that, I think it could be really fun. I'd like I'd, I'd just like to see that happen. Yes, stay there, Simon. Let's bring Janet Wilson in. Sure. Simon, I'm really interested. You you alluded to the fact that you're not going to get back to 14 million people, the 2019 figure, overnight. When do you think we are going to see figures starting to rise? When would you expect that, in, in terms of the Asia market, when would you expect that to start to really flow through? Sure, a couple of factors there. I mean, we, we have had partially open borders since May, um, but in terms of the really big numbers, which are obviously uh, you know, around the Chinese market, they have their own restrictions at the moment. And so everything I'm sort of hearing um, is that until the 20th Park People's Conference is over it towards late November, December, you can imagine that China will probably stay locked out. So I don't think you'll be seeing many Chinese tourists for a while. Uh, Indian, of course, um, going through the visa processing will take a while, but they weren't huge numbers anyhow. But I think what will be interesting, and I haven't seen the data yet, is what has happened since since May up until now. And then I think, depending on what happens with um, China movements and their ability to travel, you could see uh, things pick up pretty quickly in the you know the first quarter, first two quarters of next year. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, good to have you on the program, Simon. Kia ora. Thank you. Simon Draper there, the Asia New Zealand Foundation Executive Director. 25 past four, you are with uh, David Slack and Janet Wilson. Now, a wee while ago, Janet, you came <laughs> on the panel quite yes. hat up, really worked up actually. It became quite a favourite promo and you had this to say. We've got a problem, Aotearoa. Our problem is our driving. Our driving is appalling. Courtesy on the road seems to be a thing of the past. And I just want to come back to it, uh, Mrs. Janet. Mrs. Outraged from Te Awanga. <laughs> is, <laughs> is our driving still appalling? What examples of rudeness on the road have you got for us? Um, look, I think I think everyone's very fractious at the moment. I think there's a general malaise that has descended upon us this winter. We've been through COVID. We're going through COVID. There's all these issues and problems that we've got, and that's translating to our behaviour on the roads. And our behaviour on the roads definitely hasn't got any better since I last did that. Well, the only other word for it is a rant. The other, but. Um, if you look on the other side of where we are as a country in terms of driving, we're not amongst the worst drivers in the world. Okay. They? Yeah, well, Pip they says... Name, they name Italians as worst drivers. Oh, they, they, they name Portuguese as worst drivers. Do they? Well, Pip yeah. says, I've just driven across the US, Europe and daily in London for seven years. I returned to New Zealand 2005. I have never seen such appalling aggressive driving but with us who is just back from the UK driven 3,000 kilometres over four weeks Mark Kiora, welcome to the panel how are you I'm good thank you so what do you think yeah so I was just visiting my um my 93 year old mother in the UK you can probably guess from my accent that I'm English but no bias um lived in New Zealand 20 years 
not been back there for three years, but it was just blindingly obvious to me, driving my little tiny rental car, how it was different in the UK. Curious drivers, obeying the road rules, not getting psyched out by each other, and just mind-blowingly different from driving in Edinburgh in New Zealand. Really? Is it that stark? It was stark. It was stark. Um, oh, no. I, I, I drove around, as I said there, 3K, 3,000 kilometers, and I think only twice did I feel that I was being unnecessarily tailgated by anybody. And I swear on the trip back from the airport to my house in Coatesville, just north of Auckland, um, tailgated all the way. <laughs> okay, so this is extraordinary. This is actually quite a echo, Janet. This is appalling. New Zealand yeah. is a nation of really bad drivers. David Slag. Mac, you've brought back to me my first memory of driving in the United States, and I remember thinking, this is, well, all of those same things that you've just described. I was thinking, this is such courtesy. Why is it like. But uh, when I started infusing about this to some people, they said, you don't know who's got a gun. <laughs> I, there may be some of that to it. But this morning, I drove from Auckland to uh, Masterton and uh, started before dawn and had the delight of coming along the uh, new Waikato Expressway. But the moment I came off it, the, um, uh, there was that uh, morning fog that was really thick and people had come down to one lane and they were just hurtling through this fog and bearing down on one another and uh, taking risks that I thought were, were, were astonishing and, being, and showing no consideration of one another at all. I, uh, I did not like that. Okay, Mark, so you've come back four weeks, um, very polite uh, in the UK, driving here, tailgating uh, the whole way. Any reasons, any thoughts, any musings of why this is happening in Aotearoa? Well, I, I, I guess there might be the old English thing about being polite. I don't know. But it was startlingly obvious that people would let each other in, leave a big gap in the traffic, nobody hogging the right-hand lane. Um, a lot of volume of traffic on the road, so maybe people just felt inherently they had to behave better. Uh, whereas here, maybe less, less traffic. But I don't know. I think there's just something in our psyche where um, we seem to want to get there as quickly as possible. And if somebody's holding up, as up, we get up there, bum, you know. But, and that didn't happen. I'm actually really sad to hear this. I'm actually really, really sad to hear this afternoon. I was sad too. <laughs> yeah, to, uh, to, 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 to hear this. Do you want to ask me what they do to bike riders? <laughs> to bike riders, yeah. We've got a few yeah. cyclists uh, testing in. Final, hey, Mark Kiora, hey, thank you for being with us. This Not afternoon. So that is our yeah. Mark there who has just come back from the UK and said he is really, really disappointed in uh, the lack of courtesy in the drivers he sees in Aotearoa. Final words, Janet, because this is your story. Um, I'm not at all surprised to hear Mark say that. And um, I'm wondering, and his musings on English being more polite, I think, is absolutely do you, correct. Do you think? But I think, yeah, I think they are more. They're much more polite people than we are. And I think it, it, it cuts somewhere to the heart of our rugged individualistic kind of natures that we all think we, we're meek and mild when we're um, out of a car, but we get in a car and we become raging maniacs. I don't know what that is. I mean, it's crazy. Isn't well, it? listen to this. I watched a man get out of his van, kick in the panel of the car in front, get back in the van. Then lights in Waitangi Road, North Shore changed. He drove off. That was yesterday. Uh, keep that feedback coming. By the way, we're going to be discussing Girl Guides. Uh, have you been ever been part of Girl Guides? And what do you see 
how do you view the organisation and did you have a good time in the Girl Guides or not? You can text me on that too, uh, 2101.